We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Jorge, you know how sometimes everybody thinks they know the answer to a question, but they're actually all wrong? You mean like how you think everything weird in space is because of aliens? Well, that's not a good example. I think it probably is because of aliens. Or you mean like what? why people think the sky is blue? Yeah, a lot of people think the sky is blue because of the ocean. Wait, it's not because of the ocean? <laughs> Do you even listen to our podcast? We did a whole episode about that. No, I don't listen to our podcast. I'm too busy looking out for aliens. Well, if you did pay attention sometimes, you'd realize that sometimes there's a question in science that everybody assumes they know the answer to, but it turns out they don't. Hi, I'm Jorge. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a podcast host and part-time particle physicist. Oh, have you been downgraded to part-time now? <laughs> I decided let's make this podcast thing my primary activity. That's right. It's two hours a week, but it's the most important and valuable two hours of my week. Two hours of work? Isn't that too much for a physicist? <laughs> well, you know, you got your naps in, you got your coffee breaks, you got your scribbling nonsense on the board to look busy. So it's a pretty full day after a while. You mean a pretty full week? <laughs> pretty full week, yeah. You know, but I model my work day after my, um, my uh, cartooning role models, you know? Yeah. Sleep in, never change out of your pajamas, this kind of stuff. Yeah, no, we, we should all look up to cartoonists. <laughs> That's right. As a nation, we would all be more productive if we followed the cartooning uh, work week. We'd all be a lot more uh, funny. <laughs> That's right. We would doodle our way to prosperity. But you, our lovely listeners, are listening to our podcast. Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we take weird and funny and amazing and crazy things about the universe and try to doodle them into your brain with silly analogies and bad jokes. That's right. We try to take you to the corners, the far-reaching corners of the universe and to explore the heaviest things, the biggest things, the brightest things, the smallest things that are out there for us to discover. That's right. And so we have this series of podcasts we've been really enjoying about the extreme universe. Extreme. Extreme. In which we look at all the weirdest, nastiest, hottest, wettest, craziest things in the universe. And we have uh, actually done some of those. We did the hottest. We did the brightest. We did the biggest. What else did we do? You make, you make our podcast sound a little not safe for work there, Daniel. <laughs> that's all in the minds of the listener, okay? Well, that's, that's kind of the universe, Those are right? totally PG terms. <laughs> the universe is not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the universe is in the minds of the listener, which is also sort of true from a philosophical point of view. So today we're continuing our series of extreme things in the universe. And in this episode, we are going to explore... What is the densest thing 
in the universe. The densest thing in the universe, that's right. Not the heaviest, not the biggest, not the smallest, but the most compact, a thing with the most stuff stuffed into it. That's right. Not the sharpest thing, the densest thing. <laughs> that's right. Not the brightest thing, but the densest not thing. Not the brightest, that's right. <laughs> not the smartest thing in the universe, the densest. That's right. Yeah, smartest thing in the universe, that would be an interesting discussion. I wonder what is the smartest thing in the universe. Do you think it's a human or do you think it's some super intelligent alien race? I think the universe is the smartest thing in the universe. Oh, snap. We are the universe thinking? Is that what you're thinking? Where you're going? We are the brain of the universe? The universe is us, yes. <laughs> wow. That's very holistic of you. I got to get some of those banana peels you must have been smoking before today's episode. I am one with the universe and the universe is me and I am thinking the thoughts of the universe. Uh, well, I, but I don't, I don't smoke banana peels. I just, I just eat them raw. <laughs> you, eat the, you eat the flesh and I smoke the peels. So we're a perfect team. Well, uh, so yeah, what is the densest thing? Meaning like what is the most compact, scrunched up, thickest, you know, craziest, most amount of stuff in a small amount of space? thing that exists out there in the universe. That's right. And the point of this series, the Extreme Universe series, is to remind you that our little corner of the universe is fairly ho-hum. It's not very fast. It's not very big. It's not very hot. It's not very cold. It's sort of just right. And what that means is that, is that there is crazy stuff out there. There's stuff out there that's bigger you than you can imagine, that's hotter than you can imagine, that's emptier than you can imagine. And one of my funnest extremes is density, to imagine how much stuff you can cram into the tiniest spot, get those atoms all crowded up into each other. Because when that happens, really weird things happen. Matter does all sorts of strange stuff when you squeeze it together. And so a lot of our listeners, a lot of you listening out there might be thinking, oh, I know the answer to this question. It's obviously a black hole. <laughs> Hint, it's not a black hole. <laughs> it's not a black hole. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. There's a bit of a philosophical argument there at the end. Oh, teaser. There's a plot twist. It is, it isn't, it is, it isn't. Some people say it is, some people say it isn't. Those other people throw the other first people into a black hole and the argument. Mm, and it all just becomes a, a black hole of a... Of a mess. <laughs> exactly. It becomes a mental black hole. We all get a little denser. So hopefully that sucked you in into the, the topic of this podcast. And so stay tuned to see if it is or if it's not a black hole. Daniel says maybe it is not. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Exactly. Uh, but before we dive into that, I went around and I asked folks on campus at UC Irvine, I said, what do you think is the densest thing in the universe? Because I was curious, is everybody just going to say it's a black hole? Do people have other ideas? Have people done the careful reading about the fundamental issues in the corners and the centers of black holes? Or maybe people knew what the densest thing in the universe is. Maybe there, it's, it's something else and people knew about it. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it's the center of some weird kind of candy and, uh, you know, famously dense or something else weird people had read about. So I walked around, I asked people, I said, what do you think is the densest thing in the universe? So think about it for a second. And if somebody asked you on the street, what is the densest thing in the universe? Would you answer that it's a black hole? Here's what people had to say. A black hole. Oh, man. I hope it's chocolate. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, black hole. Probably a black hole. A black hole. Neutron stars. Something like that. Right. Or black holes. I didn't take against the antimatter. Black hole, I think. I want to say the core. The core of? The core of the Earth. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, or actually, no, universe, probably a sun, a star, right? Okay. Yeah, I would say a star. All right, so most people answered black hole. A lot of people said it's a black hole. It's a good go-to thing. I think people think, what's the densest thing in the universe? And their mind goes straight to a black hole because they imagine a black hole has a lot of stuff stuffed into it. But it wasn't the only answer. There were some pretty interesting ones here. I like the one that said it's chocolate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that was a serious answer. Somebody out there really had a hankering for some dark, dark chocolate, right? The thing that interested me about these answers Maybe is, they were thinking like richest, like what's the richest thing that you've ever tasted? <laughs> most, what's the most calorie dense thing in the universe? Maybe that's what they were thinking. Oh, there mm. you go. Is it still a black hole? <laughs> like what if you eat a black hole? That's a lot of calories technically, right? What if you ate a black hole? I think that's a physics question 
nobody has ever asked me before. Wow, we are breaking new ground today. Uh, one of the things I liked about these answers is in contrast to some of the other extreme universe questions where you, you might have noticed people tended to answer in their local environment. They're like thought about what is the brightest thing in our solar system or what is the biggest thing nearby? Here people really went sort of universal. They really cast their minds into the entire universe to find something really, really dense. Mm. You mean like the person who said it was the core of the earth? <laughs> exactly not that person. Everybody but that person, yeah. All right, well, there were other answers here. Some people said neutron stars. Other people said antimatter. Those are pretty uh, spacey, physics-y answers. Yeah, yeah. I think antimatter is a bit of a stab there, you know. Um, antimatter is not any more or less dense than normal matter, right? It's just another kind of matter. It's the opposite kind of matter. Uh, but a neutron star is a good answer. Um, and I like the people who said, you know, I don't know, something strange out there in space. Like, that, you know, just conveys the the I, whole idea we're trying to get across here, which is that space is filled with weird stuff. Something crazy and strange that you probably can't even imagine. Well, that seems to be the answer to every single one of these Extreme Universe episodes. It's like, what's the brightest thing in the universe? Some weird thing out there in space. <laughs> Something in space? <laughs> I've noticed this trend that you seem to be trying to assemble a sort of universal list of answers to physics questions. Like, how many physics questions can you just answer with the, with the phrase, the Big Bang, or space, or, you know, physics? Um, it's like you're trying to find shortcuts or something. Well, you know, I want to be ready when that physicist approaches me on the street wearing sandals <laughs> and asking me strange questions about the universe. I want to be ready, you know? You want to be ready, yeah. I think um, we should do that someday. We should just slip your answers in and see if any listeners even notice. Do I, do I get to Google first? Nobody gets to Google first. There's no Googling allowed in these questions. It's just, what do you know now? What's in your mind? What answer can you construct? All right, well, let's launch into this discussion, Daniel. Let's figure out what is the densest thing in the universe. Uh, but first, let's maybe talk about what is density. I think we all have an intuitive sense of what density is, but, you know, maybe there's a, it's different from the physics definition. Yeah, and uh, we talk a lot in this podcast about sort of the difference between technical physical definitions and sort of cultural definitions. And uh, in this one case, I think they're pretty well aligned. Uh, but let's just go through the basics, uh, bring people up to speed in case they haven't thought about density since, you know, high school chemistry or something. Um, and so density is not a fundamental unit, it's a derived unit, which means it's a ratio of two other things. It's mass over volume. So mass is just like how much stuff is there. It's different from weight, right? Weight is how much force is there on you from, from Earth's gravity. Mass is just like how much stuff is there in you, right? And remember, we talked about that another time. What is mass? And it comes from inertia. And it's the property of an object to resist changes in its motion, right? So that's what mass is. All the particles inside you and all their energy add up to give you a certain amount of mass. And then on the bottom of that is volume, right? So it's mass over volume. And volume is just how much space do you take up, right? How big are you? So something can be really dense if it has a lot of mass and not very much volume, or not very much mass, but even less volume, right? So it's not about being extremes in mass or extremes in volume. It's all about the ratio. It's having a lot of mass in a small space. I see. It's not about being the biggest thing or about having the most mass. It's about having the most mass in the smallest amount of space. Yeah, because you can think of things that are really, really big and really, really massive, but not very dense, like a blimp, right? You know a blimp is not that dense because it can float in the air, right? It's filled with a gas that's less dense than air, even though it's really big and, uh, and, and it has a huge amount of mass to it. A blimp is not actually that dense. But if the blimp was made out of rocks... That would be really, really dense. <laughs> That's right. That would be a terrible design for a blimp. Exactly. Um, I don't recommend you buy any stocks in your friend's rock blimp startup. Uh, well, it depends on what you're trying to float in, right? If you're trying to float <laughs> in true. something that is denser than... Uh, rock, then it would work. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not sure where that exists. So, you, you know, is lava denser than rock? Probably not, right? So I'm not sure where your rock blimp would even work. But sure, yeah. Maybe, you know, on the surface, uh, maybe in the, uh, the liquid nitrogen oceans of Jupiter. There you go. There you go. There's a great reason to invest in, your, in that startup now. Yeah, but the point is things can be really big and really massive without being very dense, right? Dense requires a huge amount of mass compacted into a small space. So the densest thing in the universe doesn't have to be something big. 
it can be something small. That's right. And things can be very, very dense without being that big, right? You can have a really, really small amount of something that's very dense as long as there's a huge amount of stuff crammed into it. But it could also be a really big thing. Like you could, you know, the densest thing in the universe could be like a star or a neutron star. It could be something that big. Yeah, exactly. It could be big. It could be small. It could be massive. It could be not that massive. The key is the ratio again between the mass and the volume. How much stuff is crammed into a certain amount of space. Exactly. And, you know, that's physics density. And I think that matches pretty well with what people's intuition is for density. I don't think we have a pretty a big disconnect like we usually do. So congratulations, physics naming team. You picked a good one this time. Well, uh, I guess intuitively, you know, it's kind of like um, holding something in your hand. You know, like if you're holding a little rock, that's dense. And you know it's dense because it, it, it feels heavy, but it still fits in your hand. But if you have if you have like a, a ball of cotton in your hand, that's not very dense. That's right. And so one way to compare densities is to say, I'm going to compare different kinds of stuff and have the same volume. So the same amount of it, the same like physical space full of it, and then just compare the mass because it's the ratio of mass to volume. And if you fix the volume, then you can just compare the mass. So you can compare like a handful of rock to a handful of cotton to a handful of air to a handful of, you know, hot lava or whatever. And don't actually try to get a handful of hot lava, but <laughs> <laughs> handful of lava sounds like a terrible. That sounds idea. like a, you know a high school band name or something. Up next on Extreme Universe, handful of lava. Anyway, um, yeah, you, if you fix the volume, then you can compare the mass. Okay, so you have a couple of no- great, interesting numbers here for us, and they're all based on a fixed volume, which is a one teaspoon, right? That's right. I thought a teaspoon is like a macroscopic quantity. You know, you can imagine it's just like a normal kitchen spoon full of stuff. And then we can think about how heavy, how much mass is there in a teaspoon of this versus a teaspoon of that versus a teaspoon of something else. And so if we fix the volume, then we can just think about how much mass there is. How much a teaspoon of something would weigh. That's right. Now, weight, of course, is slightly different from mass, but, you know, they're connected. And here on Earth, something that has more mass has more weight. Um, You know, far away from Earth, then you can still have mass even if you don't have weight. But they're the same. If we're we're doing this experiment on the surface of the Earth, then it's equivalent. So uh, step us through here, Daniel. All right. So I thought we'd start really, really light, all right, just sort of for scale. And imagine if you had, for example, um, a teaspoon of space, right? I mean, I don't know how you would get that, but so you like scooped up a teaspoon of space or you had, you know, stuff that had the same density of space. Like, what do you mean space? Like average space or like if you went out into space, grabbed a scoop of it and brought it back to Earth, is that what you mean? Yeah, uh, the average amount, the average amount of stuff in space. And you remember we did a whole podcast episode about how spacey is space, and it turns out that the answer is pretty different depending on where you get your scoop of space. But in all cases, as long as you're you know far away from the Earth's atmosphere, the answer is pretty pretty low. You know, you're going to get less than one proton in your teaspoon. Oh, okay, so this is like the average teaspoon of the universe. Yeah, exactly. The average density of a teaspoon in the universe is 1 times 10 to the negative 27 kilograms. So that's 0.2701. That's how much a proton weighs. So you can have like a whole teaspoon with just a proton in it. That's about the average density of stuff out there. And a proton is pretty small, right? I mean, it's it's, <laughs> one right. of the, it's pretty much... Uh, it's it's tiny. It's almost nothing, right? It's almost a fundamental unit of, of mass, right? Yeah, it's amazing because it's almost nothing, but then it makes up everything, right? And it's incredible how you can get big macroscopic stuff made out of super tiny stuff, right? It boggles the mind how small a proton is and then how many protons you need to make like, you know, a cookie or whatever. There's so many protons in your cookie and you don't even think about them as you eat it. Wow, so that's the average density of the universe, really, right? It's it's about one proton per teaspoon. Yeah, and the reason is, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the universe, a lot of stars, and they're big, and a lot of galaxies, but most of the universe is pretty empty. You know, the stuff between stars and between galaxies, there's not that much stuff there. And the biggest volume of the universe are these super voids, you know, between the sheets of superclusters, where there's really basically almost nothing. And so because density is mass over volume, and the volume of the universe is unbelievably gigantic, then that's why the density is so small. I mean, it's amazing that it's even anywhere close to a proton, frankly. Wow. That's pretty uh, incredible to think that if you sort of like, if you shrank the entire universe into a teaspoon, like everything that stuff, stars, 
us planets would just be about the size of a proton. Exactly. But but uh, next, I thought let's let's look at something sort of around here on the Earth, and and a, a good sort of normalization for like a, a standard for what density is is water, because water is one um, gram per cubic centimeter, right? And a teaspoon is five cubic centimeters. So water is five grams per cubic centimeter. So you have a teaspoon of water, it weighs five grams, which is a whole lot more than a proton. What, what about um, a teaspoon of tea? <laughs> a teaspoon of tea. That's a good question. It must be a little bit more dense, right? Because you've put something into it, but it's about the same. Okay, so that's... um. I think that's a pretty good anchor for people, maybe, you know, because we're all sort of familiar with how water feels and how much it weighs. That's right. And if you're holding a teaspoon, you can tell the difference between having a full teaspoon and an empty teaspoon, right? Somebody pours water into your teaspoon with your eyes closed, you can tell the difference. Whereas if I put a single proton in your teaspoon, you're not going to notice. So yeah, you can feel it, right? You can feel five grams. It's not a a lot, but it's also not nothing. That really kind of tells you how empty the universe is, right? Like if our average experience of matter is a teaspoon of water, compare that to a teaspoon with one proton in it. That's that's really kind of the difference between our everyday experience and the actual whole other rest of the universe. Exactly. At the low extreme, most of the universe is really not very dense at all. So we live in a pretty dense place compared to most of the universe. But then again, as you'll hear, um, our surroundings are not very dense at all compared to the densest places in the universe. So the craziest thing about the universe is that it has this enormous range. Most of it's not very dense at all. And then there's these incredible pockets of, of total density. Well, let's keep scooping up more and more denser things. But first, let's take a quick break. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, 
You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're scooping things up indiscriminately here and measuring their density to find out den- the densest thing in the universe. And we, we just scooped up some water. So some water is about five grams. That's right, five grams per teaspoon. And then people, um, a lot of people said, ooh, maybe the sun or a star. That seems like a dense thing, right? Because it seems like it's trapped by gravity. And the reason it's burning is that it's all this gas been compressed. So people figure, well, it must be pretty dense, right? Well, it, it is dense, but it's surprisingly not that dense. I mean, the density of the sun is about seven grams per teaspoon. So only a little bit denser than water. Are you serious? Yeah. The sun is is not that much denser than water. Yeah, the sun is not that much denser than water. Now, the sun is really big and the sun is really hot, but it's not actually that dense. So this is the average density of the sun because I imagine the sun is denser at the middle, in the middle and less dense at the edges, right? The sun really doesn't like when you talk about its middle that way. It's been working on it for a few billion years. Um, but yes, the, the density of the sun does vary. So this is the average density, exactly. Uh, and I think the reason that it's not more dense is that there's more than just gravity going on, right? Gravity is the thing that made the sun. It pulled all that stuff together. It starts that fire. But once you have that fire happening, it's like a constant explosion. And that explosion is making the sun less dense. So the sun is this constant balance, right? It's a trapped, ongoing nuclear explosion. The explosions are pushing things out and gravity is pulling things in. And so if it was just gravity, then you know the sun would collapse into a very, very dense state. But the reason it doesn't collapse is because it's exploding. So that keeps it, you know, a little fluffy. So you're really only kind of measuring the the density of the fuel of the sun. Like once it turns into fire and photons, once it turns into light, you don't really count that as part of the density. That's right. We're, me- we're measuring the matter density of the sun. But you know, a lot of the photons produced in the sun never leave it because they're reabsorbed. You make a photon somewhere in the middle of the sun, it's going to get reabsorbed before it leaves the sun. But I think the idea is that if you scooped up a teaspoon of the sun, it would, it would sort of feel the same as a teaspoon of water. It might be a lot brighter, right? And hotter. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. but yeah, that's the idea, right? Somebody out there is imagining being blindfolded and you're saying, I'm either going to pour a teaspoon of water into your teaspoon or a teaspoon of the sun and you won't be able to tell which. And you're thinking, yeah, I think I'll be able to tell. But you're right. Uh, you won't be able to tell from the he- from the heaviness of it because it's not that much heavier than water. All right. And, and in fact, it seems like things are even denser here on Earth. Yeah, exactly. And you might be thinking, well, water's not that dense. And you're right. And if you just like bent down and scooped up a teaspoon of rocks, you know, of like gravel or whatever, then you would have something denser. In fact, the density of the earth, again, averaging over everything in the earth is 30 grams per teaspoon. So remember, water is five grams. The sun is seven grams. The earth is 30 grams per teaspoon. That's a lot denser than the sun. So the sun is actually kind of fluffy, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's like a big cozy pillow. On fire. Yeah, and the reason is, right, the Earth is not on fire, right? If the Earth um, was more massive, so that there was more gravity, so it would compress it more and fusion would get started, then it would actually get bigger, right? And then it would be more fluffy. So Earth is more dense because we only have gravity going on. We have no outward pressure from fusion to make us fluffy. We're not living in an explosion. We are pretty compact. So, but that's kind of the average density of the Earth, but there must be things on Earth that are denser than the average density. Big variation in density. You know, the core of the Earth is more dense than the, the rocks under your feet, for example. Uh, so there's a lot of variation. But um, if you look around on Earth for like, what is the densest thing that occurs on Earth? There's this one element, it's called osmium. And osmium weighs a, a 110 grams per teaspoon. 110 grams. So like, um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's like, uh, how much is that? Like 15... Scoops of the sun compressed down (laughs) is how much osmium weighs. That's right. Um, If you had a teaspoon of osmium, it would feel like you had like a a half a cup of water in your teaspoon. The stuff is pretty dense. I've never seen osmium. I don't even know what it looks like or if you can pour it, if it's liquid at room temperature or whatever. But it's the densest stuff on Earth. But that's at the, on the surface of the Earth. Like maybe down in the center of the Earth, things are more compact because there's more pressure. 
Yeah, and you're right. The core of the Earth is more dense than the rest of the Earth or the Earth's crust, for example, or the average density of the Earth, which is what we mentioned earlier. But sort of surprisingly, it's not that much more dense. Like it's twice as dense at the core of the Earth than it is at the Earth's crust, which is most of the Earth. But so it's not crazy. It's not like a jillion times denser or anything. I mean, twice as dense is a lot, but it's not it's not shocking. Okay, so now take us out into space, Daniel. What are some of the densest things out there in space? Well, so we, as we talked about, stars that are normally burning are not actually that dense, right? And so in our solar right, they're, they're pretty fluffy. In our solar system, one of the densest things is just the Earth, right? Uh, it's a pretty concentrated blob of rock. So what you got to do if you want something really dense is something I think one of our listeners on the street or one of our interviewees on the street actually mentioned. What you need is a failed star or a star that has gone supernova and then collapsed, right? And uh, sometimes when a star blows its load and it's finished uh, burning all of its fuel and it's expended all of its energy and it, it no longer has that radiation pressure to keep it fluffy, it collapses into a neutron star. It's called a neutron star because the, the um, gravity is so intense that it forces all the protons to give off an electron and become neutrons. And it's just like a big ball of neutrons. And they are really scrunched in together, right? Because there's so many of them that the gravity really compresses things and makes it really, really, really dense. That's right. It's ridiculously dense because, again, there's no process going on to counteract it. So all you have is gravity. It's just like packing these little neutrons in. Imagine like a huge bag of pink pong balls, right? And you squeeze it so that they find like every little gap of space gets squeezed out and they all find exactly the tightest way they can all fit together. And the, the density of this thing is incredible. I mean, it's even hard to understand. You know, we're talking about a teaspoon. If you had a teaspoon of a neutron star, it would be 50 times 10 to the 11 kilograms. Wow. That's a lot of 11s. Yeah, exactly. I think that's 5,000 billion kilograms per teaspoon. And you wrote here it's about 700,000 Eiffel Towers in a single teaspoon. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find an understandable unit of, of mass. Like, you know, uh, what is comparable in mass to a teaspoon of a neutron star? And it turns out, um, you know, it's almost a million Eiffel Towers boiled down into a teaspoon. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, you couldn't hold up a single Eiffel Tower. I mean, I know you're been working out and you're pretty strong and everything. But an Eiffel Tower weighs a lot. Now we take a million Eiffel Towers and then condense them down into a tiny teaspoon. It's hard to even imagine what that kind of matter is like. Well, you know, I am stronger in France. <laughs> is that because the Earth is not round? There's a difference in like the difference from the, the distance from the center of the Earth? It's probably just the, the French wines out there. <laughs> you feel stronger in France. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I think I see what you're saying is that a like a neutron star is really just a star that went out, right? Or that collapsed. Yeah, exactly. It finished burning. And so you're saying that uh, like our sun would be that dense, except that since it's exploding, it kind of keeps everything fluffy. But if you were to suddenly turn it off, all that stuff would scrunch down into something like a neutron star. Right. Yeah. So to take the bomb analogy, you know, a nuclear bomb, when it's exploded, is not actually that dense. It's a huge fireball, right? But the fireball itself is not that dense. It's much more dense before it explodes, right? When it has all that fuel compacted into a small place. After it explodes, it's much less dense. So an exploding bomb is less dense than a non-exploding bomb. Right. It's kind of like cotton candy. You know how cotton candy is big and fluffy, but if you like scrunch it down then you just get one really dense piece of candy. Yeah, you're making uh, the, the sun sound really comfortable and cozy. It's like big and fluffy <laughs> yeah. like cotton candy, you know? Sweet, I yeah, pink. <laughs> pink. What, what is in the air over your house that you think the sun is pink? Well, you know, it, uh, it depends on your if you're wearing rose-colored glasses, you know? <laughs> there you go. That, I'll give it to you. That's your cartoonist license. You know, that's your art. Um, yeah, exactly. So a neutron star is actually one of the densest things in the universe. It's uh, it's unbelievably dense. You know, I think, isn't even denser than Thor's hammer? You're the Marvel Universe guy. <laughs> I think it is. it is made from the heart of a dying neutron star. So I don't know if it's heavier, but it's... It sounds like it's maybe in the same order of magnitude. Well, so then do the calculation. You know, if a teaspoon of neutron star is a million Eiffel Towers, 
then Thor's hammer is what, I don't know, a hundred teaspoons, a thousand teaspoons. You know, you're talking a billion Eiffel Towers. So every time Thor picks up that hammer, he's lifting a billion Eiffel Towers. It's a comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we're doing the physics of comic books here today, folks. Um, Yeah, but, you know, not only do you have to be strong, but you have to be worthy, right, to pick up Thor's hammer. Uh, so, So that's pretty dense. If you scoop up some neutron star... In a teaspoon, you would be picking up a, a million Eiffel Towers. Yeah, so uh, make sure you do your stretches before you try that or you're going to hurt yourself. Make sure you use a strong spoon. <laughs> a spoon made out of osmium or a spoon made out of a, a billion Eiffel Towers. Adamantium. <laughs> That's right. Or vibranium. You sort of gave it away. You said a neutron star is one of the densest things in the universe, but maybe, so you're saying it's not the densest thing. Well, it's it's a little bit unclear. It depends a little bit whose camp you're in. Are you an Einstein kind of person or are you a Schrodinger kind of person? Because depending on what you think is going on inside a black hole, black holes are either the densest thing in the universe or not very dense at all. All right, it's time to pick sides. Einstein versus Schrodinger. But first... Let's take a quick break. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're talking about the densest thing in the universe, and we got to, we are now at um, black holes. That's right, and we are right smack in the middle of the longest standing physics grudge match. It's general relativity versus quantum mechanics, Albert Einstein versus Schrodinger and Heisenberg and all those other smart folks. 
And so you might be thinking out there, all right, let's tell me how dense is a black hole? Because a black hole is also something that happens after a star collapses, right? Sometimes a star forms a neutron star, sometimes it forms a black hole. And a black hole seems like it must be the densest thing in the universe because it has the strongest gravity, right? The problem with the, the black hole is that how do you define the edge of the black hole? Remember that to talk about density, we have to talk about mass. Black holes have huge masses, but we also have to talk about volume. So what's the denominator? What's the edge of the black hole? And one very reasonable thing to say is that the edge of the black hole is the point of no return. You know, the point where if you're closer to the center of the black hole than that, then light can't escape and nothing can ever leave. Right. So you were sort of saying, how do you, when do, what do you count as the black hole is the question. Exactly. Because if you're going to do density, you have to calculate mass over volume. So what volume are you including? And so you're saying one option is to use what they call the, the event horizon, right? Right, The point where not even light can escape the vicinity of the black hole. That's right. And I think that's a reasonable definition because we can't see inside the event horizon. So we have no idea what's going on inside the event horizon. So all we really can do is average over it, right? We can say, well, we know how much mass there is and we know how big it is. What's going on inside? You know, that's Einstein versus Schrodinger. So if you don't want to be dependent on which physics genius is right about the universe, then you just need to calculate the mass of the black hole divided by the volume enclosed by that event horizon. So I think you're saying that a black hole should be measured by when it's when it's black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? When the black starts. Like the yeah. Where the black starts exactly. and the, the whole holiness. <laughs> That's right. And the issue with black holes then is that they are really, really massive, right? Which means there's a huge amount of gravity, which means the event horizon is really, really big. So say you don't know what's going on inside a black hole, but there's a huge amount of mass in there. The event horizon grows linearly with mass. So for example, you have twice as much mass, the event horizon is twice as big. It's 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 linear. It's like a it's like a one to one increase. Like if you double the mass, yeah, exactly. You double the radius of the of the black area. Exactly. You double the radius of the event horizon. Now, for those of you who know something about geometry, think about that sphere, right? Now, if you double the radius of the sphere, how much does the volume go up? Well, it goes up like the radius cubed, right? So, say you have some black hole and you double its mass somehow then you've increased its mass by two, but you've increased its volume by eight, right? Two cubed. So the density actually goes down. So you double the mass of a black hole, its density goes down by a factor of four, which means really, really massive. According to your definition of the, of the black yes, hole. Yes, right? exactly. If you count the black part as the black hole. Exactly, which seems like a reasonable definition, though, you know, we'll talk about another definition in a moment. And so what that means is that the bigger your black hole is, sorry, the more massive your black hole is, the less dense it actually is. But, you know, I guess it's uh, your, I, I see what you're saying, like you should count the black as the black hole. But that's, uh, it's not like a physical boundary, you know, and it's not like a, it's not like a, a surface. Do you know what I mean? It's just the, where the effect of the gravity starts to get crazy. But it's not really sort of like, you can't really touch the surface of, of the black part, right? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but, you know, it is a real physical boundary. You know, if you're a photon and you are approaching that and you don't turn, you're going to fall in. You know, it's like saying, how big is the Grand Canyon? Well, you start the definition at the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? Not at the not at the river at the bottom of it that made that Grand Canyon, right? You, you fall into the Grand Canyon, you still fell in the Grand Canyon. It doesn't matter if you fall into the edge or if you jump out of a helicopter in the middle. So I think it's a pretty reasonable definition. That you're, you're putting the emphasis on the whole part. <laughs> well, that's what makes the black hole so cool, right? Is the whole part, not the black part. So if you just think of it, the black hole as a whole, then you have to measure where the hole starts. Yeah. So you're saying the, the density of the black hole is not determined by how much mass is inside of the black hole. It's just kind of like how big the hole is, which when it grows, it doesn't help the density. That's right, because there's a connection there, right? The more mass, the bigger the hole, and the bigger the hole, the less dense, right? So you sort of trap there. In fact, to get a really dense black hole, what you need to do is, is have um, a smaller black hole, right? If you take half of the mass away from the black hole, which of course you can't do, right? Then the mass goes down by two, but the volume goes down by eight, and so now the density increases by a factor of four. 
Okay, so then the smaller the black hole, the denser it is. Yes, exactly. So start with like a really big black hole, right? I did some some calculations here. If you have a super massive black hole that has like the mass of four billion suns, right? Four billion times the mass of our sun. That'd be a really, really big black hole. Its event horizon would be so big that the density of the black hole would be the same as water. It'd be five grams per teaspoon of black hole. Oh, I see, because all the mass is just concentrated inside of this really, really big hole. Exactly. And again, we're saying we don't know where stuff is inside the hole. You know, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But if you have a really, really dense blob of matter that forms a black hole, then its event horizon is so big that it's really, on average, on average, not uh, denser than water. Hmm. You seem unsatisfied by that. Well, I'm just confused a little bit. So you're saying it's, it's, uh, you need a billion suns for this, right? Four billion suns. Four billion suns. So if you stuck four billion suns inside of a sphere that big, it, it would be a black hole. It would be a black hole. So it doesn't matter how those suns are arranged inside. It could be in a little point in the middle, or it could be in a, you know, the form of unicorns spread all over the hole. It would still create the same black hole. Or they could spell out your name. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're saying it, it, we don't know what the mass, how the mass is distributed inside of that black sphere. It could be anything. That's right. And, and we don't because we can't see inside black holes. So we don't know what the distribution of mass is. Is it all in one little point in the center? Is it a little fuzzier because of quantum mechanics? Is it some you know broader distribution? We don't know because we can't see. That's why it's a reasonable definition to say, you know, everything inside this sphere because we can't see any deeper anyway. Anything beyond that requires speculation. I always thought black holes had to be like a point. Everything had to be inside of a little point. But you were saying that they don't. They could, they could really be like, like a fluffy cloud of a bill, four billion suns. That's right. And another cool thing is that any amount of matter can become a black hole as long as you put it in the right density, right? You take your teaspoon of earth or a teaspoon of water. You can make that into a black hole if you condense it down to a small enough area, right? However small that event horizon has to be. But if you have enough mass, right, then, then it doesn't have to be that dense. That's the point. Right, so you take four billion suns, you can distribute them in a really big area and it'll still be a black hole. A really huge black hole. So I don't recommend that. If you are distributing suns around, please be careful not to make a black hole. It's easier than you think. Be, be careful handling those suns. Yeah, so the point is, for huge masses, it's easier to make a black hole because they don't have to be as dense. For small masses, like you want to turn your teaspoon of water or tea into a black hole, it has to be really dense to become a black hole. There is a number, right? You can calculate how small you have to compress that into, but it has to be really dense. All right, so that uh, so a supermassive black hole that's a 4 billion times the mass of our sun would actually not be that dense it would be about as dense as a teaspoon of water. That's right. But if you made a black hole out of just one sun, right, then it would be really pretty dense. It would be about as dense as a neutron star. Oh, I see. Huh. About as dense. But, but it could be denser. Well, smaller black holes than that could be denser than neutron stars, yes. But the smallest black hole we've ever seen is about six times the mass of the sun. So in terms of actual stuff we've, we've observed in the universe then the densest black hole we've observed is not as dense as neutron stars because we've never seen one smaller than six solar masses and uh, it'd have to be smaller than that to be denser. But So why haven't we seen one? Could one exist? They certainly could exist, yeah. My, there's no minimum size to a black hole. Remember at the Large Hadron Collider, we think we might create black holes and those black holes would be like particle-sized. So there's no minimum size to a black hole. So they certainly could exist. There could be black holes out there that are the mass of the sun or half the mass of the sun or the mass of one Jorge, for example. They could exist, but they're harder to see, right? Smaller black holes are harder to see. So the, the densest thing in the universe is probably a black hole, but it would have to A, be a small black hole, less massive than our sun, and B, we haven't seen one. So technically, the densest thing we've seen is a neutron star, but the densest thing that could exist is a small black hole. Unless you're willing to pierce the veil of the event horizon and talk about what's going on inside the black hole. What's inside a hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, then that's the thing we don't know, right? Now, originally, Einstein and general relativity, they say in the center of a black hole is a singularity, is a point, and a singularity means a point of infinite density, right? A point where there is... A huge amount of mass in zero volume, 
which is pretty hard to get your mind around. Like, how do you have stuff in no space? But black holes are hard to get your mind around anyway. So that's what Einstein would say. Einstein would say, oh, the answer to this question is obvious. It's the singularity inside a black hole. But, but Q but quantum mechanics... dead and he wouldn't say that. So. <laughs> his spokesperson would say that, I guess. Um, the Einstein but, Foundation. That's right, the, the estate of Albert Einstein. Um, but the quantum mechanics folks would say, look, we know the universe is quantum mechanical. And quantum mechanics says you can't have that much stuff in a well-defined location, right? Quantum mechanics says we know there can't be a singularity at the center of black holes. We don't know what's there. We don't know how it works. We don't know what's going on. And at that point, gravity gets so strong that our theories of quantum mechanics don't work. And we don't have a theory of quantum mechanics that works when gravity is really, really powerful. Um, so it's a big mess. We don't know what's going on inside a, a black hole. If it's if general relativity is correct, which we're pretty sure it's not, then there's an infinite density singularity. If quantum mechanics is correct, which we think it is, but it doesn't work inside a black hole, then we don't know. So what's the densest thing in the universe? Apparently it's the um, ignorance of physicists. <laughs> we, don't, <laughs> we don't really know any of these things. No, we have no idea. That's the answer. We have no idea what the densest thing in the universe is. It could be a neutron star. It could be a small black hole. It could be a singularity at the center of a black hole. It could be something else weird and quantum mechanical that's going on inside a black hole. We just don't know. All right, so, that, so that's the answer to what is the densest thing in the universe is we don't know exactly. And it kind of depends on what we've observed and what the true theory of physics is at these extreme situations. That's right. But the densest thing we've ever found is a neutron star, which is plenty dense to impress you about extreme densities in the universe, right? It goes from like a proton in a teaspoon up to a million Eiffel Towers in a teaspoon. So there's an enormous range of densities. You know, the universe is not just like uniform and spread out, right? It's like mostly empty with these incredibly tight-packed pockets. And that works even in France. <laughs> that works even in France, exactly. All right, thanks for joining us in another one of our Extreme Universe series. We hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning in. And hey, if you have a question about the universe or, or want us to talk about another extreme thing in the universe, let us know. If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge. That's one word. Or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.